Join the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented A Fish Called Wanda. Watching it with me is Katrin Lowe. Hi, Katrin, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Um, thank you for bringing your Betamax copy of A Fish Called Wanda tonight. It's uh, It was a joy to rewatch. What's so special about this film for you? Well, I think it might be the most eccentric film to be a smash hit at the box office. Um, I first saw it when it was first broadcast in the early 90s which I think was Christmas 91. So I would have been way too young to be watching it, really. (laughs) Um, My family taped it off the TV and there was that usual panic that a family has when you think, oh, there's something good coming on the television. Someone goes to look for a tape and consequently the first 10 minutes are missed. Glory days. Yeah. (laughs) My sister and I got... We really, really liked it and we watched it again and again over over the next few years. But... It means that in recent years when I've seen, you know, when I bought the DVD, I saw the first 10 minutes and I realised that I actually had been watching it again and again, never having seen the heist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so I was like, oh, this is actually the bit, you know, where they get the diamonds and the whole plot revolves around this first (laughs) five minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah, I think it's just incredibly rewatchable. It's really rich packed with set pieces that are comedically really quite perfect i think but it's also you know watching it now politically incorrect in all sorts of ways and it might be one of the most politically incorrect films that is also critically acclaimed if you see what i mean yeah i mean there's there's one part and, and we were talking about this as i say at length before the the michael palin character ken he's got such a pronounced stammer yeah, and I guess you know, and doing, doing some reading about this, you know, he he put a lot of effort into making sure that it was a very accurate and sympathetic portrayal. But um, and and again, this is something that coming back to a film thirty thirty two years later, really, it's quite jarring to see in a way that you don't see that sort of depiction anymore. In a way that, especially in a comedy, yes, it's quite extreme. It's funny because you you think about it now and on the one hand, I, I, I heard an interview with Michael Palin recently where he was talking about it and he was saying that on the one hand, you don't want to make something that will offend a section of the community. But on the other hand, if there are people that are struggling with these things, you also don't want to brush that that affliction under the carpet entirely and not allow characters in art to to have these things you know that they should be allowed to be to be fully fleshed out characters like everyone else these films you know looking back they're still quite inclusive to a point I guess it's difficult to find an actor probably with such an obvious stutter but the fact is that his disability I suppose plays a very active part in the film and it's actually quite an important part of the plot where especially there's parts where he's being interrogated and parts where he's I mean we'll come into it shortly yes. but he, you know he, he plays such a key role in the film and uh, and even looking back now and I guess following things through Twitter and and how you know Monty Python of you know the, the various parts of that have aged and he seems to be the one who's still very much the national treasure yes absolutely um, well I think that when this film came out there was a there was a bit there were some people that were quite upset by it I think with regards to how it approached that 
my friend Chris Chapman directed a really great documentary for the BBC called Stammer School about the Michael Palin Centre for Stammering Children, which he set up after the film came out and after he had some feedback from people about the way the film approached the the subject of stammering. Um, my friend Chris was saying that he, he obviously took that reaction incredibly seriously and he really wanted to give back as much as he could to make up for having, you know, caused any misunderstandings in terms of his depiction. I think he, ba- he based the he based the stammer uh, that Ken has on his own father's stammer okay. so that yeah. the portrayal is is quite uh, you know comes from personal place for him I think that he's put so much thought into it and I mean this is the sort of thought or research you'd expect from someone playing a role in a, a biography or or a more serious film um, not one where he's having chips shoved up his nose and having his fish f- eaten in front of him while he's being told uh, being asked where a hotel is <laughs> yeah completely it's quite i mean the, the otto's treatment of of that character is pretty relentless and i suppose the one the one thing that you can that you can take from it is that i think it's only otto hmm. that bullies that character no one else does and otto <laughs> is awful to everyone he's an, he's just a, you know really a really a really selfish and aggressive character i mean i was i was watching some of the ways in which he's directed to to treat wonder and there are quite a few instances where he'll there's one particular one where he pushes wonder by the mm. face over a couch so you can kind of see how even with his supposed love interest in the film he's you know a real monster yeah. he's really out of control i mean this is kevin uh, klein so, in his yeah. oscar winning role maybe watching this a bit too young um this was one of the first films that i remember seeing that was a british film but featuring american actors certainly you know actors of their caliber Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis were lovers playing brother and sister as a role within this. Yeah. And I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis throughout, you know, she's popped up in a couple of the previous episodes of the podcast. And, you know, she was, you know, throughout the 80s, just this sort of icon almost. And she's very much almost this goddess type figure, but she's idolised by almost every <laughs> man who comes across. And the way that yeah. you know she's so integral to the film, and you know, there's parts where she uses her obvious attractiveness to her advantage, but it doesn't feel too overdone in the way that it could quite easily go beyond that and into some sort of token. You know, she she doesn't you know see a topless, for example. No, no, completely. Well, she's not. I think that something that's quite important about her character is that she's not underwritten. Like there's a the fantastic scene with her and Otto out on the wharf where she has that mm. she really loses her shit with him and says, you know, <laughs> I have dresses with higher IQs. <laughs> you think you're an intellectual. Uh he says, Apes don't read philosophy. <laughs> yes they do. They just don't understand it. That whole bit. And and uh, you know, so you're never under any impression that she's not smart she knows what she's doing she's it's true that she's using her sexuality to get what she wants but that's a decision on her part 
she's not being pressured into it by anyone else. I mean, something that is quite interesting about her character is that she has, she has sex with people because she wants to, or because she's decided that's what is the useful thing to do is in a particular moment. And then she's not punished for that at the end of the film. And I think that makes it quite unique as a as a sort of mainstream film in that way in that you have someone that gets turned on by people speaking a different language you know and kind of has fun and doesn't yeah she's we're not we're not made to think that that's somehow reprehensible no because i mean this is very similar to the uh, when we talked about trading places when and her character and that was she was a prostitute because she chose to be yes she wasn't pressured into that and she was incredibly intelligent and provided a lot of the sort of purpose for the second half of that film and you know everything was done in a way uh, whether it's realistic or not I don't particularly know but you know she was the one who chose everything that she did yes she wasn't being exploited particularly yes yes exactly and I think that they they show you they show you wonder in it in they don't just show the the side of her that's that's glamorous and just there seen through the male gaze there's also a clip of her arriving to see Archie at that flat and she's eating a sandwich and then she sprays perfume up her skirt and (laughs) you know you kind of see the things that she's doing to prepare herself for the role that she's playing with these guys and then there's also another scene where Otto comes in and she's in the middle of bleaching her top lip. Yeah. <laughs> and I really love those touches because then it, you know, it points out, you know, this is what this is what a woman has to do in order to be a femme fatale, she's got to go to these lengths no matter how gorgeous she is, you know. Yeah. They don't often show you the the less glamorous side of these no, things. No, they don't. They don't. Uh it's it's something that I very much appreciated. <laughs> I mean, I think I think she doesn't I think the uh, the guys all got awards of one kind or another. I mean, the the central three men, hmm. but I don't think she did, and I think she should have done because I think it's a very difficult role to pull off because you've got to get the audience on side while being this incredible temptress, yeah. and you know you've got to kind of take take your role seriously while also having the the comedy chops for it. Yeah, because, I mean, as as you touched upon earlier, the film opens with them planning a heist where she is, and again, pretending to be the lover of someone who I can only describe, you know, as a sort of traditional old school British, I say wannabe gangster. Yes. Um, And they're, they're planning a diamond heist in Hatton Garden and she's very involved in the planning of that, but she's also the lover of the American... Otto, who she pretends is his her brother. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's very confusing because they still have that very close relationship. Yes, completely. And and George, the the man that she's pretending to be in the relationship with, just sees, you know, clearly doesn't like Otto very much, but obviously not for the reason that he probably should. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's doing a lot of plate spinning, isn't she? She is. I mean, I, I think, I, I, and again, this is. I did notice it throughout. She actually, I think she kisses every one of the main male characters in this at some point for yes. for some way. I mean, she even kisses Michael Palin at one point as a kind of, I mean, it's not in a sexual way. It's as a, 
almost in that sisterly brother way that you don't see from the others. Yes, yes. Well, it's clear that they're all kind of in love with her, isn't it? Yeah. Although at one point, I think she said um, to Otto, even if you were my brother, I'd still fuck you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I felt that that's a nod to to Halloween. I don't know anything about horror films, really. I think I have seen Halloween, but there's, I think in the whole Halloween franchise, is there's something about the fact that the killer is also her half-brother. Right, okay. So- I think, yeah, I think... That might be a reference to that, but I don't know. See, see again, I'll get pelters for this, and I, I'm not big into horror films at all. I haven't seen any of them, but I did see that on, on IMDb, and I thought, okay, right, there, there we go. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I mean, I, I guess, and again, without seeing these films, that would probably explain why she's still in them, what, 30, 40 years later. So. Yes, yeah. Crazy. The, the language in this, that was nothing about the original version that I saw that was... Uh, broadcast on television is I think they they cut a lot of the language hmm. I was so struck by how how kind of colorful it was it's something that's very common throughout these these films because they were shown on you know I call it normal telly um in the sort of late 80s early 90s and whether it was BBC or ITV or or that and and when especially when you're the kind of age where you're still quite impressionable and you still listen to these things and and you hear one thing and it might not be for another 10 or 15 years later that you'll hear the the actual how it was meant to be and you come back and think blimey that's that's really odd um yeah you know some of the you know i mean we, we talked about it before but i mean there, there's a version of robocop that was generally the one that was shown on on network tv whether in the states or over here and obviously, you know, in, in American films, you can show all kinds of nudity and blood and gore. You can't say a naughty word. Um, <laughs> and I think that version is actually included on... They re- released it deep recently on um, on Blu-ray. Yeah. And they've actually put the heavily edited version on there as a sort of... As a memento, really, of, sort of this is how weird things are. Oh, right. Oh, OK. And uh, And I wonder if you know, that might be the start of something because, you know, in this film, there is a lot of... I think it was a 15 when it came out, but there is a lot of, of language in here. And I guess, it, you know, especially when it's very British, if it's coming out of sort of John Cleese's mouth, it, you know, it might sound very different, especially to an American audience. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, it goes uh, some way to underlining one of the main themes of the whole film i suppose which is that difference between the americans and the brits and their their ways of of expressing themselves and i mean there's the the whole sequence with otto holding a gun to archie's head trying to apologize <laughs> you know it's just so it's it's just great coming together of those two extremes you know yeah i suppose they had to really they would have had to really go for it with the with the language in order to make those kind of points please believe me it's all right no don't beat me up again listen no no i've had a terrible day will you shut up jesus christ don't kill me please shut up then okay look i just want to apologize sincerely for what well when i dangled you out the window i'm really really well, it was not a nice thing to do. And then when I attacked you in there, well, I'm really, really... But how could I know you were trying to rob your own house? I was just trying to help. Yes. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Otto. 
Yeah, and I suppose you've got Otto probably, I don't know, maybe an assumption, but growing up watching, you know, whether it's cowboy films or Clint Eastwood or Steve McQueen or something, you know, and probably to, to John Cleese's barrister, who's, you know, very proper and lives this very, I suppose, upper middle class life where this is just all, he, he deals with criminals on a daily basis, but, you know, these are now invited into his life, have, yes. holding a gun to his head in his garden, trying to, <laughs> trying to say sorry. <laughs> the lengths that you go to to get together with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> I know, even now. Oh, I mean, uh, um, but so the, the the heist, it's the Hatton Garden. They they steal some diamonds. It all goes relatively to plan. Um, I mean, there's the they're all in masks and and that, and there are bits in there that come back later. There's. Um, the glass shards on George's trousers which are used as part of the evidence against him but there's also the um, the recurring and this is the main role for, for Palin's character Ken is that they're identified in the getaway car by a little old lady with three are they Yorkshire Terriers? I mean they are yes yes I think so yeah um, not sure gets, but, but yes <laughs> and and, um, and this is what goes on throughout the film is that while George is in prison on remand waiting a trial um palin's character is basically tasked to uh, remove the old lady <laughs> so that she can't identify him in court except bear in mind she has three dogs the dogs all seem to meet horrible deaths before she does yes oh, yeah. as, as a dog owner and lover it was um i, I could see why it would be painful for her how did, how did as a as a as a dog owner how did you how did you feel on in terms of Ken's emotion? <laughs> um, it's difficult because again you you kind of look at and every time that he accidentally murders one of these dogs, he looks genuinely mortified not because he's failed his task but because he's killed a dog. And yeah. It's, and it's only when on the third attempt she dies of a heart attack that. He, <laughs> And when a crowd form and he starts running up <laughs> laughing and clearly delighted. Yes. I think then then my sympathies kind of go, yeah, yeah, I can see his point. You know, do- yeah, dogs yeah. are better than humans. <laughs> well, it's it's something that's quite uh, relatable, I think, for a lot of people, that, that feeling of not that they would care necessarily more about the, the animal's life than, than the human's life. But I think that people do feel very, very str- strongly about about um, animal welfare and and they they wouldn't like to see that happen <laughs> no and, and some of the ways he manages to do it i mean he runs over one of them while he's dressed as a rastafarian yes um and now i couldn't remember someone mentioned it on on twitter but i, I wasn't sure if he blacked up or not i wasn't sure if he did because he had the wig and and the hat and everything but i wasn't sure if he actually did blackface yeah, it's it's unclear. I was try- I was trying to spot that as well, and I think there might be a little bit, but I'm not sure. So but that, yeah, maybe we'll leave that as a fine. That's, that's yeah. not too bad. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so he runs over the dog. He also has a I think it's a Doberman that snatches the little dog and runs off with it, which it made a it made a bark so loud it woke my dog up. Well, because while we're in the living room watching, oh really? It. Yeah, he was he was well asleep, and yeah. then um, and finally the other one, he had a rifle, um, and shot the rope which dropped a big block on the dog, 
<laughs> and then you've got the woman who's clearly not you know aware of what's going on despite the fact that her two dogs have died in horrible circumstances right outside her flat yes and um she's trying to pull this lead which is under a i don't know half a ton block yeah and then has a heart attack so yeah. oh well oh. you know it's it's funny that there is something about the the recurring funerals of the dog <laughs> and the run up to that 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 is that is funny and the i also found out that the that the choir the choir boys that are singing during those sequences if you translate the latin they actually are singing have mercy lord the dog is dead <laughs> <laughs> which is which is fantastic <laughs> i love that attention to detail yeah no, that's very it's very john cleese <laughs> yeah <laughs> we therefore commit its body to the ground Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection. Uh, and I think also another thing was that for when the dogs got killed, there was originally going to be a much more dra- graphic depiction. Oh, really? Yeah, of the dogs dying. So they got, you know, meat from butchers and et cetera. And then when they showed it to uh, test audiences, they 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 found it too upsetting. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, completely. So they, they changed it to a kind of more cartoonish depiction of of dogs dying yeah it's funny this um you know i mean brighter minds than this have, have come up with it but you kind of think like especially in, in the uk you know people often turn a blind eye to a lot of terrible things in this country but anything involving cruelty to animals is is awful and, and other species and it's it's the worst thing in the world and also i guess i'm probably guilty of that from time to time but... <laughs> well well i think I think that's the thing about this 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 film that I I do like is that it has a has a really strong theme in it about people being attracted to otherness. You know, mm. they, they, Ken Ken really likes animals. That's you know that he 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 just finds himself you know kind of full of affection for them, and that's then that's a really interesting and touching thing about. Ken's character and then you have Wanda who likes to be uh, spoken to in Russian and Italian <laughs> uh, you know and then Archie obviously falling for Wanda because she's so unlike anyone that he has in his life already so unlike his you know cold wife you know all of these things uh, it's all about kind of people people liking a, the, the strangeness of of something that's wholly not like them yeah I suppose um, the grass is always greener in, in yeah, some ways yeah completely <laughs> Uh, I mean the the thing you're so right though about about it being uh, very arresting when you see some of these these uh, animal deaths and so on and so forth because I was going to say that the scene that will come to I'm sure with with Otto eating the fish just I've seen this film so many times and it never it never loses its shock value that scene no you think that, and after he's after he's eaten all the fish, you think, oh well, Wanda's going to be spared, isn't she? He's not going to actually eat Wanda, and then he does, and he went, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, it's like a Tarantino scene. <laughs> it is, and, and the way it's done, you know, 
again, you know, you're not just torturing Ken by tying him up and shoving chips up his nose. You know, <laughs> you know you're eating his essentially his pets in front of him. Yes, yes. It's brutal, brutal, it's so brutal. <laughs> It's oh. so brutal, and the the way protections are on films and stuff. I mean, he, I, I guess these probably weren't real fish either. Hopefully, but um, it just the the. I mean, they they looked realistic enough. Yeah, I think he offered to eat some real fish. <laughs> I think Kevin Klein takes his roles very seriously. Well, you got an uh, Oscar, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. You know. No, no, well, it pays off. It absolutely pays off. Uh, but I think he was told that he didn't. He wouldn't have to do that. <laughs> Blimey! I'm, I'm trying to think of other things. But I mean, what did I watch? Uh, there's a show. I think it's one of those Sky Atlantic ones. I think it was Billions, where oh, yeah. uh, the the main character is a, a billionaire and his friend. There's a as a treat they buy this rare bird, and half of the delicacy of it is that you eat it live. Oh. And. It was. I mean, it's just again what rich people do. Maybe I, I don't know, but I guess eating birds or fish or whatever. It's um, it takes a special mind to to do that. I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Oh. That that would be. Yeah. Extremely. Extremely difficult. Yes. Mm. But, um, <laughs> um. I mean, one thing you you talked about earlier was um the part where we're saying about. Um, Archie's wife and how their relationship kind of inspires him to say lust after wonder. I mean, he actually says he falls in love with her. Yeah. Um, but there was a scene where it was a almost a juxtaposition of Wonder and Otto in bed. He's talking Italian. Well, say he's saying the names of Italian food, and she's getting clearly very fiery and (laughs) enjoying it and then you've got various cuts of Archie and his wife Um, he's clipping his toenails and they're sleeping in separate beds very much like he did in Faulty Towers and it's that kind of lifestyle that is probably quite common we don't know but um, just that it just it's not very subtle in that it just shows you how different they are yeah but um, yeah, I mean, he he's quite clearly married with a child, and that's how things probably go. Yeah, I think mm. that that they're, they're trying to to show quite starkly the the differences between how how a, a, a British marriage and and an American <laughs> an American relationship of, of whatever form might might play out in contrast. Yeah, and you've got um, Otto's face as he. Uh, I'll put this politely in case kids listen. Finish. Oh, oh, so <laughs> it's it's I, I I it's quite um it's 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 a very very funny scene, but it is quite toe curling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. One thing I like I really like about that scene is is uh, Wanda's feet because <laughs> as he's pulling that face, her feet are kind of kind of waggling around in quite a bored way. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole build-up to that was, you know, him sniffing her boots and, oh, it was yeah. just, the whole thing was just so different, you know, within a couple of minutes, just seeing the two of them together and <laughs> ho- hopefully by this point people have realised they're not related. Let's hope so. Yeah. It's it's, it's uh, funny as well because I heard that he really wanted to, 
because he can speak French fluently, Kevin Klein. So he wanted French to be the language that he spoke to to turn Wanda on. But John Cleese insisted that it had to be Italian. So he genuinely (laughs) can't speak it. And that's kind of what gave them the idea for him grasping through all of these things. So it's such a such a good idea. It completely wouldn't have worked if he was speak speaking French fluently. It wouldn't have been funny in that way at all. And instead he's he's saying mozzarella and <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's kind of reminds us all of what we'd do if we had to pretend to speak another language. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember one of my GCSE German reports, and he said if he doesn't understand a word, he just says it in English with a heavy German accent. And... <laughs> That's a great thing to have on the <laughs> I know, it's, just, yeah, it's such a shame I've never continued from there. I just do an impression. But um, yeah. <laughs> like you say, how authentic it is that if he spoke French, it would almost, and especially if he's fluent, I mean, it would almost be wasted honest I suppose because one most people don't speak French in in the UK and then yeah and two you know we've been there but it's also strange that later on when her and Archie you know get together in in the flat and he speaks Russian to her and Russian seems to have a similar effect I mean you've got two vastly different languages that seem to have the same effect on Wanda (laughs) uh well Maybe she just likes the the otherness. Yeah. <laughs> or, or 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 you could view that as her just at that point being genuinely very into Archie. Yeah. And so maybe she just decides, oh, actually, maybe Russian is better than Italian. I'm I'm going to go with that. I mean, this this scene in in the flat that he's borrowed the key from his friend. It's. I suppose in the late 80s, this was apartment overlooking the River Thames and Tower Bridge. And, you know, this would be the height of someone's second home almost as being very decadent. And you'd have to be quite rich to afford it. But, um, you know, while while he's in there in his pants, how could I put it, prancing around while (laughs) she's writhing around a rope while he speaks Russian and the... uh, incredibly uncomfortable scene where the family walk in having leased the apartment yeah and he just so happens he knows them and it all gets very english and polite <laughs> I mean, it's it's done so well it's it's incredible and one of my favorite facts about the film is that that was meant to be wonder naked Right, but then when Jamie Lee Curtis saw the script, she said to John Cleese, "I'm I'm always naked in films, <laughs> and if I'm naked, it won't be funny. People will just be checking out, you know, me being naked, and I look mm. great naked. So how about you be naked instead? Because that'll actually be funny." <laughs> and he and he took the note and he changed it, and you think, God, that was such a good note. Because if they had kept it the other way around, I think it would have. I think it would have kind of ruined the film for me because you just would have thought that's just gratuitous trying to get Jamie Lee Curtis to be naked for us you know yeah it just been another one of those films where the video has to get paused every so often and <laughs> yeah uh... completely <laughs> yeah and again you know there, there is a slight difference between Jamie Lee Curtis at that time at 80s Jamie Lee Curtis and John Cleese 
Yes, yeah. yes. Not although I have to say in that scene, having rewatched it the other night, you can tell he's been he's been working out. I think mm. he, you know he looks he looks good. I, I think <laughs> most people would uh, do a couple of goes on the treadmill if they knew they'd have to be <laughs> yeah. naked in a big film. Definitely. Yeah, I think I'd have my weekly meat free day the day before that one. Just to... <laughs> yeah. one thing I love about that scene as well is that it is. There's something about his pants in that scene. Oh, I think yeah. are great. There's really realistic pants. He hasn't gone and got kind of new flashy ones. They're slight, slightly grey. They look like they might have been left in the wash with other colours. You know, they. yes, I like that attention to detail. They're very much the sort of pants that you'd expect a sort of middle-aged barrister to wear in the 80s. They're, um, you know, they're, like you said, that. I mean, without putting them down, you know, they're probably from Marks and Spencers and yes. probably about the same age as his child. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not sure, you know, he, yeah, I don't know. If, if you thought, if you'd gone to the effort of getting a flat to, to host Wanda, you'd, uh, I don't know, pop down to Primark and get yourself some new kecks. But... You would have thought so, wouldn't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get the butler to go out and do it. Yes. Having having said that, though, in the in the earlier sequence where Wanda goes round to his place and while his wife is at the opera, mm. uh, there's something about that sequence where that kind of set my expectations. I think for what it would always be like going round to a guy's house because she says, "Oh, I'm quite thirsty," and he says, "Champagne in the fridge." <laughs> oh, my favourite. <laughs> now I'm always slightly disappointed if I go around to a guy's house and he doesn't just have champagne in the fridge. No. <laughs> I mean, most and Archie is quite smooth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, these days it, you'd, have, you'd have to settle for prosecco. I suppose. Yeah, prosecco would but... be fine. <laughs> like, really fantastic. <laughs> oh, Asti spumanti, lovely. Wonderful. I mean, again, that's the the scene where um, she breaks in and then Otto breaks in afterwards and. Then the wife comes home because the car's knackered and oh, it's the whole, that awkward kind of thing where you've got to pretend that she's not there and she drops her locket, which, yeah. you know, the locket's got the key for the, the safety deposit box in. Yeah. So of course, it's precious for two reasons, but it's just strange how, because of course, then it, it's, it revealed that the wife, is Wendy, is her dad was quite high up in the security services and <laughs> she Otto claims to be part of the CIA and they've got KGB moving in nearby and it's all just very oh really well you know my, my dad was a day by five or whatever yeah I love I love this scene I think that scene might be my favorite scene of the whole thing I think it's so perfect and I don't know how they kind of managed to do every detail so incredibly like got Archie running down the stairs to go and get the champagne in just there's something about John Cleese's sort of back view when he's running down the stairs sometimes it can be just so you get it a lot in Faulty Towers where it yeah. just looks so wild and then and then when his scream when he comes back into the room and he finds Wendy there instead <laughs> it's amazing and and the whole exchange I think it's uh, it's Maria Aitken that plays Wendy I think she's really fantastic in that scene with her exchange with Otto when he says he's from the CIA like you say there's something about all of that that's just played really perfectly. And I also have a bit of a theory about this scene, which is that I wonder whether the initial uh, bit when you come into them and they're uh, Wanda and Archie are on the couch and they've got champagne 
and she's she came she comes in wearing those those glasses that she wears to yeah. and convince him that she's a student. I wonder whether that's meant to be a little nod to some like it hot when Tony Curtis puts on sort of thick rimmed glasses to try and seduce Marilyn Monroe because obviously him being her dad and everything. I don't know. I'd have to. I'm sure John Cleese is listening to this right now. And yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's meant to be a nod. <laughs> I mean, he's, I'm, I'm sure he'll, um, you know, put down his Brexit placards and. I'm sure you know, he will. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> he did seem, you know, that there were nods in here where he's clearly taken in a lot of old films. I mean, Archie Leach was Cary Grant's real name, I believe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I guess you know something like that wouldn't go unnoticed. Um, whether deliberately or otherwise, or even if, who knows, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis herself suggested, I don't know. Um, I suppose in, in this country now, they'd probably be referred to more as Deirdre Barlow glasses, but... <laughs> yeah, uh. that's probably... Well, that's the thing, they're an interesting choice of glasses, and then when I, I went and reminded myself of what the glasses looked like that Tony Curtis wears and some like a heart, and I thought, actually, they are kind of similar. Maybe it is meant to be a, a bit of a homage. Think... And then also the bit, there's a bit where Ken walks in to the flat and almost finds Otto and Wanda together and she comes <laughs> out with a towel on her head and she screams and then I wondered whether that was meant to be a nod to her mum screaming in Psycho. So yeah, I've it's... really gone down a, <laughs> a whole rabbit hole with these. Yeah, but I think a lot of these, and we've seen from the other scenes where there is that attention to detail where, you know, something like this, it doesn't seem like an accident. No, I don't think so, because it's Charles Crichton who who was directing his biggest films he directed in the 50s. And so he's he's comes from an era that isn't from isn't the 80s. You know, he's he would have been around at the same time as uh, or at least shortly after some of these films were being were being made. And as you say, Archie Leach being such a uh, such a tribute to to Cary Grant, it all kind of feels as if these things might not be an accident. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, it's, it's almost one of those things where you put yourselves in their shoes, and I mean, while I, I almost certainly never write a film, and certainly it's not on my 40 things to do by the time I turn 40 list, it's, um, it's it, I suppose if I were to write a film or any sort of book or play or anything like that, it would be heavily influenced by my cultural things throughout my time on Earth, and Unfortunately, most people will probably think that everything's going to revolve around Molly Ringwald and Steve Gutenberg. But <laughs> so, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, and I, I think it's disgraceful they never really got together. But oh, um, uh, you know, Gutenberg's still working. Fair play. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, he's in a. Um, he's. I'll give it a plug. He's in an upcoming British gangster film. Um, oh is he what's it called it's called original gangster and it's out this year um there is a trailer on on youtube for it, it it's um you know it's very much in the the mold of the the late sort of craze for british gangster crime films but steve gutenberg's in it looks like mick hucknall <laughs> he's got this wig which again is just crazy and you know, if there's one thing, it's almost like this film was written with me in mind, just thinking, you might not be interested, but Steve Guttenberg's in it. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to catch that. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was, again, when um, 
I was I think I was off work on Christmas Eve and we had the telly on in the background I can't even remember how I I think my one of my kids pressed the button on the remote on the movie channels and it went to the horror channel and it was at three o'clock in the afternoon they were showing a film called Lava Lantula which is just one of these it's all like Sharknado or something like that and <laughs> Steve Guttenberg is a former A-list actor who has to f- save Los Angeles from lava spewing tarantulas that are about eight foot long. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I never got to see too much of it because I thought uh, my child, well, my youngest child was one. I don't think she's quite ready for it yet. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> she, she was just upset that like, there was no longer Frozen on the telly. But um, <laughs> it, um, yeah, that, it's just one of those things. For a that, couple of years, yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, we, well, I've got the Police Academy box set, you know, we're going to set next time I'm in charge. That's, uh, that's going oh, on. Oh, wonderful. Oh yeah, and do and do do a screening of Three Men and a Baby as well. Oh, classic! It's such a classic. Oh, I love that film. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Anyway, that's enough of the Steve Gutenberg podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the scene where Otto has gone to apologise to um, Archie because he dangled him out the window of his flat because he called him stupid. It's slagged him An- off. Another perfect scene. <laughs> yeah, and this again is a recurring. You know, everything's a recurring theme where. Otto, his weakness is where people call him stupid. Yes. And it's like you know, Marty McFly in Back to the Future being called a chicken. It kind of stops him in his tracks. And and in this case, you know, he, he dangles Archie out the window. And <laughs> I love the I love the camera. What the camera does at that bit where he's Archie's the right way round, and then the camera twists, pans out, and then you see that he's upside down, and you see all the people gathering below. <laughs> Beautifully filmed, <laughs> and he's still talking very properly while he's apologising. Yes, yes, fantastic. I'm sorry for any offence to you yeah. or your family. <laughs> <laughs> you pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed English giant twerp scumbag fuckface dickhead asshole. How very interesting. You're a true Bulgarian, aren't you? You're the Bulgarian, you fuck! Now apologize! What, uh, me to you? Apologize. All right, all right, I apologize. You're really sorry? I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back? I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family. And I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. Now that whole sequence again is just so so wonderfully done. That when, when Archie and Wanda are on the bed talking about how stupid Otto is and then he just appears and says don't call me stupid and they both jump out of their skins it's just so incredibly choreographed wonderful I suppose having an Achilles heel like that it makes it quite easy to um, to sort of get startled if all of a sudden someone says it's like a trigger and someone says something all of a sudden it's like nope I I can't spine you anymore well it's something that that this film does that I wish more films did, which is 
they show people's very basic human weaknesses as being as being the things that will let them down even when they're trying to go after something that you know that they really want because with with Otto you know he is meant to be a really good shot you see him in that heist scene you know he's obviously skilled at what he does and physically fit and all of these things but then it's stuff like being very defensive about being called stupid because obviously for for good reason he's a bit worried that he's not actually massively intelligent and also his his sexual jealousy keeps letting him down and i think that's really human as well and something that you know it's an it's an it's a good detail about these potential action heroes you think actually that's that is the problem with most of us is in the end we're let down by these very basic human foibles you know yeah i mean he's you know trying to pretend to read nietzsche and and (laughs) but often quoting him and that's almost like you know he's got one book and he's only going to talk about when he talks about philosophy or anything it's always (laughs) going to be about that um and um yeah just just things where you say and you say about a, a basic human weakness and it's almost I mean, it was around this time when you know keeping up appearances was a thing where yeah you know hyacinth's whole thing was making sure that people didn't think she was from a poor background you know and, and this is otto saying i'm not stupid i'm not stupid you know and, and trying to pretend to be very clever yes completely and you have that in 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 a different way in, in faulty towers don't you where basil is constantly trying to convince people that he's that he's cultured that he's from a sort of a, uh, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of sort of status anxiety where mm. he he's always trying to cozy up to the person that he thinks uh, might have have a certain degree of class to them money all of those things and then at the end of each episode he's always let down by very much a, very much a british thing i think completely <laughs> <laughs> archie breaks into his own house stages a burglary in order to retrieve the locket and then Otto, in trying to in trying to sort of help him out, and, and in this try to apologise, actually knocks him out. This is just a it's a farce that just works really quite well. Yes, yes, it's it's incredible, and he can't he can't stop beating him up, even though he knows that it's absolutely vital that he that he apologises to him and. And also, they have the they have the uh, the frame following that where you have Archie eating eating the necklace. Oh yeah, yeah, which is is quite similar to the to the bit then, which is foreshadowing of the the fish being eaten. Uh, oh, I don't right. think about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind yeah. of warming you up. Yeah, completely. And I I don't know. Maybe it's meant to be all about repression of one kind or another, hmm. but. But uh, yeah, that's so. That is so funny when Otto just discovers him there and beats him over the head. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to be a good Samaritan, and yeah. yes, yes, completely, completely. Yeah, he, he's so, broken so broken into a house of a staged burglary. Yes, <laughs> <Good> timing. <laughs> I mean, I do. I have to say, I do think that Oscar uh, was deserved. It's yeah. It is an incredible performance, and he does something quite amazing which is that he is both a buffoon but also attractive which is a really really unusual thing to have in a film i think most people are either you know they're either kind of just the butt of all jokes or they're the kind of romantic hero you mean you didn't fancy jim carrey and dumb and dumber (laughs) (laughs) of course 
pin-up of all time. Mm. Uh, that's that's the thing about Otto is that he is quite multifaceted. So yeah, and and I guess as well, it's it's quite rare that someone wins an Oscar for a comedy. Yes, you know, and, yeah. and the fact that you know he plays this role, you know, in, in many ways, but. And you think about the films at the time as well. I mean, we didn't have, you know, the the comic book and a, a lot of blockbusters didn't win Oscars at the time. I mean, what what would have won that year? I guess of the big prizes would have been the eighties. He's had you know, the Last Emperor and you know proper serious films. Yes, it was Rain Man out on that year. Something. Like that. Yeah, that would have won. Yeah. yeah, and again, you know, you go go up against that. That's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think I think it's it's good to, for comedy to be acknowledged in these big award ceremonies because you know what he's doing in this film is is so incredibly entertaining and and I think I suppose the thing is it looks like so much fun that you think that it can't be maybe that hard but I think it it's it really it must be you know because there's there's a real combination of of charisma and physical comedy that he's that he's pulling off because even in the next scene, you know, after I think Ken's killed the third dog at this point, but um, <laughs> you know, and he goes back to gloat about it to Otto because they had a bet. Yes. And this is where Otto tortures him, and this, I mean, it's it's not a torture in the way of say, I don't know, Marathon Man or something like that, but he still, you know, uses that physicality around the eating of the chips and then the fish. Yes. The way he does it, and I mean Palin's reaction was was great as well. Watching yeah. you know, watching fish getting eaten. I know we talked about it already, but still, as another facet to the performances. Completely no, you know the whole avoid the green ones. They're not right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it is it really packs a punch and. I think there's also something about the way the two of them complement each other because Michael Palin as a presence is incredibly endearing, mm. I think. And, you know, even even in a film like this where you see him running around desperately trying to kill an old lady, <laughs> there's still something about him where where he really engages your sympathies. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll of... feel like that whenever I see Michael Palin in anything. <laughs> I mean, he plays Ken in a way that... I know we, you know, the, the stammer and the stutter, but yeah, we, we, he plays him as a almost just about right in that he's not a simpleton. Yes, you know, he's a generally a sweet guy. He just makes bad choices, perhaps, and keeps in the wrong crowd. Definitely, yeah, he seems very impressionable. Yeah, yeah. and it's almost like he's he is being used to some extent but he's happy to help he's doing it off his own back but i don't know i mean it, you have to have sympathy for him during that scene he's you know struggling to breathe because he's got chips and an apple in his gob yes yes it's very as i said earlier it always it always feels shocking to be that scene but mm. but it has yeah i i i think that I think that Tarantino saw it, but you know, in the run-up to him making Reservoir Dogs, so <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. I mean, he's got a very diverse film collection as well. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. quite a magpie in that way. And um, and even when Archie goes, you know, he finds Ken all tied up, and and this is where the, the you'd think Archie, being very British, would be. And again, this is how Cleese plays it. He's very trying to be polite. 
he's trying to go along with a stutter and not make a big deal about it, but then he starts shouting and getting him to sing yes. just to reveal where this hotel is. Yes. Yeah, it's mm. it's quite I think I think that was another thing uh that they cut a bit from when they showed it to test audiences. I think that whole sequence was longer. But I think people understandably found it sort of found it kind of difficult to watch there being sort of too 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 much of that the whole thing of Ken having the information not quite being able to get it out so they 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 reduced it a little bit yeah. um yeah. I mean I guess he, he manages to find it when I suppose most people are probably just sitting there and go, get, get a pen get a pen Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, Archie, why, why didn't you just do that in the first place? Yeah. Um, we've got the uh, the courtroom scene where George is on trial, wanders there as a witness and completely destroys his alibi. Yes. Saying, oh, you know, yeah, I wondered, I, I remember the time because I thought it was strange that he was leaving with a Sean off shotgun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. funny, in that scene when I was when I was watching it, uh, the other day, I I noticed that there's a really uh, the bit where George calls her a bitch and and jumps over to, to over the room to try try and get her. Is if you if you if you watch it slow down, you can see that that whole bit's a stunt double of some kind. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Some, someone else in a big moustache. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite interesting when you see bits like that where you think, oh yes, that must have been. They had, to, they had to call in the big guns for that. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's something you don't expect from a. I suppose if you've grown up watching, I don't know, Crown Court or something like that. And it's... <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> but they've got uh, Jeffrey Palmer, haven't they, as the judge, and he's a bit of a. Oh, he was excellent. He, he yeah. probably only had about five lines, but. Yeah, well, they've got they've got a few different people in uh, in the film that are sort of British sitcom legends because they've also got. Uh, Ken Campbell, who's who's uh, assisting Archie uh, in his in his investigation earlier on, and mm. and he's uh, he's you know sort of comic actor known for experimental theatre, and he was also in the episode of Faulty Towers where Sybil gets sick, and he oh, yeah. plays Reg. Yes, and he's yeah so great. So I I quite like as a film, I quite like the way it sort of combines this sort of old Hollywood glamour with some of these British sitcom legends. <laughs> quite nice coming together. If you've grown up of a certain era or age where, you know, you see these guys and they're opposite Hollywood stars in a film that did very, very well in America. Yeah. You know, it must be strange. And, and I mean, it must be weird to put, put yourself in the other position of if you're American and you only know... I know the the stars. Yeah, I mean, you probably know who George, John Cleese and Michael Palin are, but you know, seeing what is a probably quite accurate depiction of life in in a certain part of London in a certain culture. Yes, I mean, it's it's quite different from some of the Richard Curtis films in that way as a thank, representation. Thank yeah, completely, oh. completely. I mean, it's so different to something like Love Actually, isn't it? Oh. Uh, which is in in a really wonderful way. <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about that when we did the the tall guy episode, and you think, yeah. you know how how people must think that every guy in the UK is like Hugh Grant and ugh, God. No, well, well, and that's the thing you don't you don't need to to force some of these things so much because that's uh, something about this film is that 
when John Cleese was was putting together this story you kind of think on paper him saying okay well you know the the premise of this is that I get together with Jamie Lee Curtis and you might think you might think really you know it's like some of, <laughs> some, some of Woody Allen's stuff where you think it's like slightly wish fulfillment maybe but but it really works you know that's the thing if, if two people do have chemistry on screen you you don't you know you don't need to necessarily kind of call in call in someone that you think on paper would work if if it if the two performers have a good rapport then you can really believe in that in that relationship and that's another thing about it is that in the original draft i think that they didn't they didn't it was implied at the end that wonder just makes off with the money and and screws archie over but then when they showed it to test audiences they wanted the ending to be that you really believe that they do get together and stay together forever Okay. I can. I mean, I can. I can see why because I think in in the scenes with them, you believe in the in the connection. What do you think? He seems, and and again, you don't really notice it so much at the time, but later on, when he seems to be genuinely hurt when he says that she wasn't into him because he wasn't rich. When there's that call back to slightly earlier when she asked him if he's rich and he said no. Yeah. And. That seemed, you know, and he said how he loved her and, and everything else where, but you genuinely felt that it wasn't just the money that she was after. And maybe because quite a lot had happened between point A and point B where, you know, he genuinely made the effort with her. And I think she saw that Otto, he's certainly not a keeper. He's, he's, not, <laughs> he's, he's not the guy you take home to your mother. Um, no, not really. <laughs> um, and, and while, you know, they they are you know worlds apart in in many ways i mean you can't rule things out you can't say it wouldn't happen because they do clearly have a chemistry that goes beyond whether it's looks or age or perceptions of class or whatever it is um yeah. i think it, it is believable just and yes i think i think it is and there is the the sort of almost the get out at the end with a caption where it says she goes on to or they go on to have seventeen children <laughs> form a leper colony or something like. That. <laughs> oh no, it was um, or one of them. Someone goes to a leper colony. <laughs> yes, I think they they found a leper colony. Yeah, that was it. Right. And and again, it, that kind of just reminds you that you know this is a comedy. It's not real, but you know it's still an ending that you kind of think, you know, it's, it's all good. You know, Otto gets his comeuppance in a very, very vivid way. Yes, although it's so funny, isn't it? They mm. they bother to make that steamroller scene so vivid and so convincing and so shocking, but then he survives in the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking limey cement. Mm. Wait, wait, Ken! Kenny! Ken, may I call you Kenny? Present the wonder! I got the deal of a lifetime. 50-50, you and me, what do you say? Okay, okay, okay. 60-40. That's my final offer. Revenge! Wait, I got an idea. You take it all. Yeah, here's my boarding pass. Ken! I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cast kill you. Wait, okay, fine. Fine, Ken. Come at me. Give me your best shot. Go on, Ken! You don't have the guts. Admit it! Okay, you have the guts. Good. Wait. Dead. All right, I'm sorry I ate your 
It's it's crazy. I mean, this whole and it's almost the weird thing is, is how Ken Palin runs him down in a steamroller, but because it's over wet cement, it doesn't kill him. And yet, that's yeah. that sort of act of almost redemption at the end. It kind of cures his stutter. Yes, it's strange that he auto represents his his illness and yes, by, by yes. killing him, he's suddenly free. Yeah, completely. Well, they have the uh, they have a few moments like that with Ken where his stutter also goes after Wanda kisses him. Yeah, and then also in the moment where Archie finds out when he writes down the Cathcart Towers Hotel, and Archie says the Cathcart Towers Hotel, and he says yes, the Cathcart Towers Hotel, and then he realizes <laughs> that his stutter's gone. So there's something about that where I suppose yeah, implying that that some of these things where it's that. If you you know if the, the the stress, there's something about the stress of a situation that can make a condition worse. You know. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that's that's probably quite accurate. But yeah, um, absolutely. But it was funny watching the part where he does run him over in the steamroller, and I, I saw something that the whole sort of the initial steam um, brainstorming of the film was Cleese wanted write something about a guy with a stutter who plays an important part and the director just wanted to see someone get run over by a steamroller. (laughs) And then when you see it in, was it Austin Powers? Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. I was about to bring up Austin Powers. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so clearly influenced by A Fish Called Wonder, isn't it, in that scene? Yeah. Yeah. Get get out of the way! Get out of the way! <laughs> stop! Stop! Yeah. Uh, no, no one ever thinks about the poor henchman. <laughs> but I always wonder with the decision to have Otto at the plane window. I always think, wonder when that got decided on. Whether it was really a last minute add on, just because they couldn't quite bring themselves to. I wonder whether that was also a, a test screening. I think so. It almost seems like it's a bit cold-blooded to to kill him in that way um and yeah and, and it's not like in die hard where the villain is presented in a in, in a, i suppose in a much more one-dimensional way with with otto it's he's such a bastard and you know you really you really don't want him to to get what he wants but on the other hand he's been presented with all of his kind of vulnerabilities and flaws to such a degree that it feels quite difficult, as you say, to watch him be killed so brutally and for that to be the final moment that we see him. I mean, I'm trying to think, I I went to a couple of test screenings a few years ago and um, I'm just trying to think back and weirdly there were films that I don't think I ever saw again. So there was, um, oh, that was a Curtis film, wasn't it? The Boat That Rocked. Oh yeah. Yes. Don't oh god. And I remember seeing that as a test screening and they they give you the cards at the end and you you fill out, you know, what was your favorite bit and this that. Um but yeah. it was so far removed from the actual finished film that there were, you know, huge swathes of it that were supposed to be CGI that were just green screen and and stuff so it's a bit difficult. But um and then another one was the remake of Flashdar. Uh no, Footloose. Oh wow! And I'd never okay. seen the original at that point. Yeah. Um, I have I have since, but um, and in the end they call you into focus group 
thing where they give you like a ten pound HMV voucher, and you know, and clearly it sounds awful, but it was almost like being in a film. You had every pair of people were representing a different group. And this is, I suppose, what they may have done with this film, is that, you know, we were clearly the couple. There were the gay couple, the two women who'd gone, there was the younger people, there was an older couple. And they obviously wanted a diverse opinion. You know, yeah. And my point was just that, you know, bear in mind, Die Hard's one of my favourite films. I was just it's no Die Hard, is it? <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of my contribution. And I, I they, prob- <laughs> they probably didn't go away and kill... I think it was Dennis Quaid, I think, was in the remake. Um, they probably didn't go and kill him at the end of the film and drop him out of a building or a church. But um, yeah. I, I just wonder about these sort of test screenings, and a lot of them are almost famous or infamous for for the changes they've made based on test screenings. Yes. And I wonder if this is one that also got the same treatment. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had to, they had to get her back to film that phone call scene mm. where Archie dumps her and she has to sort of look wistfully into the middle distance <laughs> as a result. And and then, yeah, the, the the scene on the plane at the end, and I think she really wasn't happy about it because she thought that, you know, they were kind of making, making compromises that were going to turn the whole thing into a more generic rom-com type film. Mm. And, and whereas she'd signed up for something that was a bit more, a bit more edgy, but but I can understand why those things got changed. I mean, you know, some, sometimes in order to be able to make quite a lot of, you know, it's a it's a film that does have quite a few shocking scenes in one way or the other, you know, albeit in a in a comedic sense, and so it's quite nice to have it finishing on it's a warm-hearted ending but as you say because of those subtitles that they put on at the end which are very python-esque i think because mm. it's you know it makes it into just like this has just been a kind of dreamlike film that's that's quite surreal rather than you making you know you're not meant to think that it's that's a slice of reality i think that it ends on a on a high and leaves you feeling good doesn't it about yeah. everything so because I guess you've got, because you've got Otto sort of on the side of the plane shouting "asshole," which yeah. <laughs> is his refrain whenever there's a almost a traffic collision. Yes. Um, asshole. And it turns out he goes on to become the the Minister of Justice for South Africa. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, and um, and you know, generally this it was great to watch it again because you know you do miss and it is a film that probably benefits usually from re-watching because of all the small parts and all the parts that you you might miss on a first watch um and especially how they all went together towards the end there's it's definitely one to come back to if you haven't seen it before or, or if you have seen it definitely go back and watch with a sort of closer pair of eyes Completely. I think it really, as I, as I said at the beginning, I think it really stands up to repeated viewings. And I think that uh, nowadays as well, there's quite a lot of nice uh, upending of gender stereotypes in the Fishkel Wand as well, in that, you know, everyone everyone has the, the their contradictions you know no one's no one's playing a, a cartoon version of themselves even even wendy 
at the beginning you're kind of meant to think oh you know she's just this this cold wife who you know doesn't pay Archie any attention but there's something about that moment where she thinks that he's got her a necklace and she kisses him and she says oh you know this isn't like you and you kind of get the feeling like actually I think I think <laughs> Wendy even though they're sleeping in separate beds you kind of get the feeling that Wendy actually wants to have sex with Archie and she just kind of feels disillusioned by their whole their whole uh, marriage for whatever reason she just needs a bit of romance. Yeah, you know, well, you know, she's just sort of like they're both for whatever, you know, their circumstances have made them both become bored over time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just that everyone, everyone is quite nicely multifaceted in a way that I think is quite satisfying. Quite easy to see her as some sort of evil dragon woman. But yeah, you know, in, in, in the light of day, you know, when presented with, albeit his mistress, his piece of jewellery, she takes a shine to it immediately and refuses to give it up. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. <laughs> no, that that whole bit is quite is quite painful to watch, really. It is, yeah. but um, but yeah, and, and again, I mean, films on on Netflix. So unless you don't have Netflix, there's really no reason why you shouldn't go back and watch it. It's um, yeah, def- definitely worth, worth watching. And again, yeah, any anything with. Any eighties film with Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. <laughs> and and she doesn't get naked, and you've got plenty of silliness as well. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not really a big Python, not not through choice. Just I, I yeah. never really was, never really watched a lot of it, so I, I couldn't say how much of it was and how much of it wasn't. But um, I'm sure there must be plenty in there for fans. Oh, completely. And I think I think that's another of the film's strengths is that. There really is something in it for everyone. I think I've watched it with with different different people over the years, and if you just like really good slapstick, then there's lots of that. Or if you know you kind of like more sort of verbally driven uh, drama and and witticisms, then there's a hell of a lot of that as well. Or if you just fancy Jamie Lee Curtis or Kevin Klein, then there's that. So, <laughs> so absolutely I think for a lot of people, one way or the other. Ah. Uh... <laughs> And there's me just thinking. I I always remember Kevin Klein mostly for Dave, but um, oh yeah, yeah. But this this is a good one to remember him for as well. Oh, completely, completely. If not just for that that weirdly small baseball cap. Yeah, it was small, wasn't it? Very small. Yeah. And and the fact that he looked like Ray Purchase from Toast of London. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a Stephen Fry cameo as well. Oh yeah, the um, the part of the airport towards the end. Yes, yes, it's a fantastic little moment there. Just distracts him saying, ooh, is that the Queen? It's about a flight of stairs. <laughs> Wonderful. Speed, sir. Airport security, may I see your boarding pass, please? Oh, yes, certainly, certainly. Very good. Now, would you mind stepping over here, please? Uh, yes, oh, look, the Queen. Well. Ah, uh, the film that keeps on giving. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway... Catherine, thank you very much for bringing your um, your videotape. We'll make sure it gets rewound, and luckily the Jamie Lee Curtis bits aren't too worn down, and we don't have to worry about the tracking too much on that. Um, thank you so much. Now, um, where can people find you on uh, on social media, and, and what can we expect? Uh, I'm at Kitty Costanza on Twitter, which is a nod to George Costanza from Seinfeld, one of Wonderful. the greatest comedy characters of all time. Uh, and I tend to tweet about old films and pop music and comedy and theatre on there. 
and I also do a bit of oversharing, which I hope is occasionally entertaining. Always. And, <laughs> and I sometimes write plays that are generally put on in uh, little theatres above pubs, which I'd love people to come and see if it sounds up their street. And uh, I do try and smuggle in some references to 80s films when I'm putting them on as well. But anyway, yes, my, if I'm promoting them, I'll be promoting them by my Twitter feed. So. And I guarantee that um, I'll be definitely coming along to the next one and we'll be uh, sharing some, some links on there because... I think, yeah, it's one of these, we've got to support each other. These sort oh, of things. yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I enjoy this podcast so much. I was listening to the to the Three Men and the Baby one just the other day. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic podcast. So. Well, as I say, we look forward to coming to see Steve Gutenberg acting in your plays. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> he'll probably do it for nothing. Oh, I'd love that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so um, yeah, we'll share some of those on on social media, and um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely catch up at, at one of them as well. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. Thank you that's, for having me. That's my pleasure. And um, and as we discussed, uh, this film came out in the UK on the fourteenth of October, nineteen eighty eight, and um, it's actually got a good good song at number one at the time. It was one moment in time. So. I feel like I've won an Olympic gold medal. I know. I mean, I'm sure we haven't had anything too dreadful. We've had some real shockers in the last couple. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so this this is a, a nice one to finish on. Lovely. But, um, thank you very much for coming along again. Oh, not at all. It's been my pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Gary West, Fergus Higginson, Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Christian Dees, Andy Elliott, Chris Hopkins, Omar Zambon, Laurie Curran, Ian Madrell, Catherine Lowe, Mark Makin, and associate producer Chris Oakley. Visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club for more information about bonus episodes, early access and more. And as a special treat, the first bonus episode coming soon will be The Hunt for Red October. <laughs>